Thrill Me. This show is part of the Thrill Me Podcast Network. Experience more on Facebook and YouTube. It's time for the Mr. Wonderful Show. Here's your host, Mr. Wonderful. Hey gang, welcome into another episode of the Mr. Wonderful Show. Happy Thanksgiving, as you're probably either listening to this on Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Day, maybe after the Thanksgiving holiday, but it is the Thanksgiving edition of the Mr. Wonderful Show. Thank you for giving us a listen, and if you haven't done it yet, please hit the subscribe button, like and review the show wherever you listen, and go ahead and give the Thrill Me Podcast Network a follow on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date on all of the Thrill Me Podcast Network shows. That includes The Metal Groove, The Review at Rob Show, Improper Guidance, as well as Haunter's Podcast, and this show right here, and a, not a few other slew of shows that are on the horizon as well. A lot to get to in this episode. Do have some reviews. Actually going to get into the Walking Dead finale later on in the show, as well as a review for Disney Plus's release of Disenchanted, the sequel to Enchanted. But I did mention it's Thanksgiving week, so it is a Thanksgiving episode of the show. Actually, if you're trying to maybe get in the Thanksgiving spirit, If you're listening to this before the holiday, or it is the holiday and you still want to kind of just celebrate the day and don't want to watch any of the football games, let's face it, nobody wants to watch the Detroit Lions play football. Sorry, Lions fans. You just haven't been relevant since Barry Sanders, okay? But if you want to get into the Thanksgiving spirit, actually have a list of some Thanksgiving flicks you could go ahead and check out. I put together a list of five movies that you should watch to celebrate the Thanksgiving season. Let's start with some honorable mentions, films that I thought, hey, you know, these are pretty good, but not really good enough to make the list. And I wanted to show a variety of films in this category as well. And that is You've Got Mail from 1998. It takes place during the holiday. So go ahead, you can give that a watch. Also, The Gold Rush from 1925. Charlie Chaplin prepares a Thanksgiving dinner in that one. And one that I put in the honorable mention mark because the events do transpire on Black Friday. But it has that little bit of Thanksgiving to it in the beginning. And let's face it, Black Friday and Thanksgiving, they kind of go hand in hand. Kicks off really a good holiday season one. And that is Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Yeah, I put Paul Blart on my honorable mentions list. Come at me, brah. All right, so the five movies that I feel are good watches to get you ready for the Thanksgiving season. At number five, go ahead and throw in the 2002 Spider-Man. It has that wonderful Thanksgiving dinner sequence with the cranberry sauce and William Dafoe finding out just who Peter Parker really is. Spoilers. At number four on the list, I love this film. It reminds me of other 90s comedies like Tommy Boy and Dumb and Dumber. Maybe not to the level of fame. And maybe you haven't even seen this one, but it's 1991's Dutch. Ed O'Neill trying to win over his girlfriend's son, a young Ethan Embry, as they road trip from his private school back home. There's just a lot of... It's it's the two different characters. You know, you get that whole, oh, I'm trying to win over the kid. The kid's a bit of a brat, but also working class guy. The kid comes from a very wealthy upbringing, hence the private school. So he kind of looks down on him and then the whole mutual respect thing along the way. 
it's it's a really funny film. One of the rare Ed O'Neill gets to star in a movie films, and truly one of the best of the '90s, I think, comedy wise. And it, it and they're getting home for Thanksgiving dinner. It is one hundred percent Thanksgiving, which I can say about number three and number one on the list. Maybe not so much number two, but let's get into number three on my list. It's a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving from 1973. This is just a classic Peanuts holiday special. Must watch. Snoopy's Thanksgiving feast, toast, jelly beans, popcorn. So go ahead and throw in that Peanuts classic. At number two on the list, one that does have a Thanksgiving aspect to it, Adam's Family Values from 1993. Wednesday gives that infamous speech now about the injustices done to Native Americans during her camp's reenactment of the first Thanksgiving. If anything, go watch that scene today. It's still a classic. And at number one, you probably figured it out by now, if we're talking Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving classics, well, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles from 1987 is the film to throw in. Steve Martin just wants to get home in time for Thanksgiving. John Candy... He as well wants to get home for Thanksgiving. Oddball pairing, just like Dutch, two very different characters that go on this journey together and this road trip, this adventure to get home. And plane, trains, and automobiles, of course, all three, but go through this adventure to get home only to, you know, have a better understanding of the other person, the holidays, and really just becoming better people in life as well. So... That's five movies to get you excited for Thanksgiving. If you haven't already gobbled down some turkey and you need a little extra motivation for turkey enjoyment this year. Uh, also, before we jump into some of the reviews that I have, The Disenchanted, non-spoiler, and then The Walking Dead, probably going to be a little more spoiler-ish. Wanted to talk about this because I saw this and it got me interested in maybe finding out how other people feel. So Ranker put together a list, and this is where people have voted. If you were to boot one family member from Thanksgiving this year, because let's face it, we all got that one aunt, that one uncle, that one cousin, nephew, whoever it is. We all got that one family member that's coming in hot, ready to tell you exactly what it is you're doing wrong ready to pick fights, all that stuff, and no amount of alcohol or Mary Jane going to help you get through the holidays. So if there's that one person in your family you could boot, but replace that empty seat with a celebrity, who would that celebrity be? Now, coming in on this list at Ranker, we're not going to go through the top 10, but we'll go through the top five. At number five, Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. Okay, it's a pretty good pick. I like it. At number four on the list, Jimmy Fallon. I can get down with that. I'm going to be riding his wonderful ride at Universal Studios this week because that's where I'm about to go spend Thanksgiving with my improper guidance, but my Haunters podcast buddies, Zach Hilton and Brooke Hilton, as well as Brooke too. We're going to be going down doing an accidental but now family, Haunters family Thanksgiving together, but Jimmy Fallon comes in at number four on this list as I get sidetracked. At number three, Meryl Streep. Yeah, go figure. She made a list in the top five and got nominated as a celebrity that you would want at your dinner. 
for Thanksgiving. Although I hear she always loses out on getting the invite. It's just always nominated, but never gets to win. At number two on the list, Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, come on, Iron Man. The guy's had a great career. I would love, though, for Robert Downey Jr. pre-Iron Man to come to my party. I'm talking 80s, 90s Robert Downey Jr., man. Not 2000s and on. Not not this RDJ that that got clean. I'm talking, I, I want the old Robert Downey Jr. to come to my Thanksgiving because, yeah, he'd replace the crazy answer uncle, but it would be a more fun craziness because it's more just... A, Alcohol and other things induce crazy. And at number one on this list, Morgan Freeman. The voice of God. Of course we want Morgan Freeman there, but I like that because it also shows that there's a good range. And also Morgan Freeman really does a good job at being able to garter just a whole different audience. He he grabs everybody. It's like even babies are like, you know what? I want Morgan Freeman. It's their first words. They're like, Morgan Freeman. It's, it's wild how many kids' first words were Morgan Freeman. Uh, some other people that did not make the top five but were close, Patrick Stewart, Tom Hiddleston, which I just don't get the Tom Hiddleston thing, especially when I start listing off some of the other people on this list that didn't crack the top five, like Tina Fey, Kristen Wiig, Neil Patrick Harris, Chris Evans didn't crack the top five, People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive, didn't crack the top five and was lower on the list than Tom Hiddleston. Hiddleston was eight. Evans was like 24. Also on the list, not making it uh, into the even the top 10 was The Rock. And that probably would be one of the people I'd pick. I Personally, I'd pick Kevin Smith. I mean, I'm a Kevin Smith mark. I think he would be fun at a Thanksgiving. Sure, we'd have to go vegan, but the amount of hummus that dude would bring, it would make up for the vegan meal. That's for sure. So who would you like to have at your Thanksgiving if you could bail on one family member? The crazy family member gets the boot. Who is it, celebrity, that you would invite? And they're saying yes. That's the thing. They're saying yes. Like the rock I would want because I want him to bring the tequila for the event. That would be fun. All right. So let's get into the Disenchanted non-spoiler review as Disenchanted now on Disney+. Plus. It dropped this past Friday. This is the sequel to Enchanted, which starred Amy Adams, Patrick Dempsey, as well as James Marsden and Indina Menzel. Now they're all back this time around. Amy Adams, Patrick Dempsey, Adina Menzel, James Marsden, and Gabriella Baldacino, I believe is how you say her last name. She steps up now. She plays the adult version of Patrick Dempsey's child and Amy Adams' stepdaughter in Morgan. Uh, she now comes into the fold, and we also welcome in in this sequel Maya Rudolph, Yvette Nicole Brown, and Jema Mays. So a strong cast. Uh, Oscar Nunez as well pops up in this. Uh, Colton Stewart has uh, a role in this film as well. But this is, uh, I want to call it a long Weighted sequel. It has been 15 years since Giselle and Robert wed, but Giselle has grown disillusioned with life in the city, and they decide to move their growing family to the sleepy suburban community of Monroeville in search of a more fairy tale life. Unfortunately, it isn't the quick fix she hoped for. Suburbia has a whole new set of rules and a local queen bee. 
that make Giselle feel more out of place than ever, frustrated that her happily ever after hasn't been easy to find. She turns to the magic of Andalasia for help, accidentally transforming the entire town into a real-life fairy tale, placing her family's future happiness in jeopardy. Now Giselle is in a race against time to reverse the spell and determine what happily ever after truly means to her and her family. And yeah, this is an actual race against time. There is an actual ticking clock in this film. But I want to come out and I want to say that I was late to the game when it came to Enchanted. I only saw that film about a year ago, and I really enjoyed it. And I think that that helped me this time around with this film and not feeling that this was a letdown because I didn't wait as long as everybody else had waited for this sequel. For me, it was when they announced that they were doing this, I then went and watch the original one. Not to mention, it is my fiance, one of her favorite films. Makes sense when the film came out. It was right around that time for her that she would obviously fall in love with a film like uh, Enchanted. So, one of her favorite films, we got to watch it together, she got to introduce it to me, and I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Which now brings us to the sequel that I actually really enjoyed as well. Uh, I thought the sequel to Disenchanted was very cute, very clever. I like what I liked about Enchanted was the twisting of the classic fairy tale story that we know, and this time around, twisting that evil stepmom aspect of things. Uh, this film, one hundred percent though, does hinge on the enjoyment of Amy Adams getting to play not just. Uh, the the happy-go-lucky Giselle and do that for the entire film like she did the last time, but she gets to also portray the evil stepmother thing because when her wish goes awry and her new home of Monroeville turns into a fairy tale, she takes on as the stepmother the role of classic stepmothers in any fairy tale that you have ever heard growing up or ever watched growing up. Any, any Disney fairy tale, she starts taking on those roles. I love Maya Rudolph being introduced as the queen of Monroeville, but an unofficial queen of Monroeville, so that when we do make the transition into the more fairy tale world, it makes sense that that is the queen of the town. But it's not the heavy hittedness, uh, you know. It, it, it very clever film. It didn't, and that's what I really enjoyed about this. I do think it is a little long at the two-hour-plus mark, considering the first film was a very tight hour and 48. But I also want to give Maya Rudolph a lot of credit with what she got to do this time around because it meant she did not have to do a typical queen, an evil queen type of character, which we got in the first film. Susan Sarandon played the queen in the first film, the evil queen. So we didn't get the same thing with that kind of introduction. That's what I mean by it was very clever. But yeah, this film is a little long. The two hours at sometimes can kind of feel like it, especially because my biggest gripe with this movie is that for a two hour plus film, we get very minimal James Marsden. But this time around, we do get more Adina Menzel. In the first film, it's it's like a weird, this film did a counter, like they, they countered the fact that Adina got very little screen time in Enchanted and gave her more this time, but in the process of that, cut down Marsden, who was very pivotal in the first Enchanted film. You've probably seen the sequence of him from that film. If, you have, if you've never even seen the film, you 
probably have seen the him on top of the bus in New York City sequence or some type of still from that. He is pivotal in that first film. He is very much not a part of Disenchanted. And I am a James Marsden mark. I love the guy. I think he has been a, you know, the fiance and I did get into a conversation because she was like, people act like he's very, he, he's not around much. And I was like, well, he's underrated because he does so many things, but nobody ever puts him at the forefront. We're, we're never usually talking James Marsden, but this is the guy who got to play Cyclops. This is the guy that got to not just be an X-Men, but was also in a Superman movie. This is a guy that has put together a great, solid career. And it's not like, yeah, he's not getting work, but it just feels that people don't give James Marsden the love that he deserves. So for him to be essentially sidelined in the sequel of a film that he played a pivotal role in, yeah, that 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 upset me a little bit. But overall, I really did enjoy this movie. I think it's a fun sequel. I actually think I enjoyed this more. I, I don't think. I know I enjoyed this more than the sequel for Hocus Pocus. And, and I was on board for Hocus Pocus 2. But I found some faults in Hocus Pocus 2 that I don't find in Disenchanted. I think that the years between 2007 to now... I think it pays off, and I think the story is really fun. I enjoyed this this time around with these characters. I like where they have progressed to and, and where they are all these years later, and I had a lot of fun catching up with some characters that I really enjoyed in the first film. So I, I do recommend checking out Disenchanted on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know, just, again, be prepared. There's not going to be a lot of James Marsden, and that is upsetting, but uh, overall, Amy Adams truly is just having such a blast and you'll have a blast as well watching Amy Adams uh, really chew it up in this in this film. Now I want to shift gears over to television really fast and talk about the Walking Dead finale. If you are a fan of the Walking Dead this and you haven't seen the finale yet this will include some spoilers to it so be prepared from this point forward but I imagine that if you're still listening as well you might just be intrigued by what happened in the main shows series finale so the walking dead announced a while back that season 11 of the show 12 years after it began would be the last season of the main show it would be an extended season so more episodes to go into it and to complete the story that they are telling before the show breaks off into spin-off shows and we had learned before the series finale that there were a few spin-off shows in the works Mainly that Daryl and Carol were supposed to have a spinoff show, but Carol, Melissa McBride, ended up having to back out. And this caused a reshoot of the finale that I want to talk about in a minute, but Melissa McBride had to back out. So it is just Norman Reedus as Daryl moving forward. It's going to pit him and put him in uh, France. So he's going overseas on this. We also learned that Lauren Cohan and... Jeffrey Dean Morgan, we're getting a spinoff as well uh, with The Walking Dead City, I believe is what it is called. And they're going to be going to New York City for a spinoff. And there has been the ever hanging since he left the show, the Rick spinoff movies that we have now learned is turning into a Rick and Michonne. So Deny and uh, Andrew Lincoln going to be working together on a show called uh, Rick and Michonne, which will I believe they said was uh, two seasons and that will conclude that aspect of storytelling. 
But The Walking Dead as a whole, as a, as a main series that began back in 2010, has officially finished. So it is now fractured off into spinoffs that will always, you know, it's like, it's typically like comic books. And The Walking Dead has really, I think, been the more successful of the wanting to build a universe like Marvel. They came around around the same time Marvel did. They created this main show that really, you know, it 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 ran its course probably with a lot of people around season, the end of season five, season six. I know people point to the Negan stuff and go, yeah, nobody cared once Jeffrey Dean joined. It's not true. The show just was a massive success to the likes of what I don't think anybody saw coming. Like, this was a show that was beating Sunday Night Football in ratings at its peak. Nothing beats Sunday Night Football in ratings, but The Walking Dead managed to do it at its height. It was still a show that was still pulling in millions of viewers. It just wasn't pulling in, you know, 13 million viewers for its episodes, its season premiere or or its season finales or its mid-season finale and mid-season premiere. Like, it was pulling in massive numbers the like of just television you don't see. So it was always bound to start losing viewers the later it went on. And yeah, there are aspects of when you start changing different, you know, executive producers and 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 showrunners and and the head of the show and stuff like that. Yes, certain storylines are going to start fading off and yeah, it did get so big with the characters at one point that you were leaving certain characters on the back burner for a long time. And and even in this finale, certain things were not truly concluded, which was a little frustrating that they didn't just, you know, it was an hour and a half finale. You couldn't do a two hour finale to kind of wrap up some other little things. So, but with what they did, they did a really good job at concluding a lot of the main storylines and also wrapping up a lot of, certain Negan and Maggie storylines that make it really interesting to see how they're going to go and do that New York show now and put them in places where it's, it's very interesting. You know, Negan finally apologized to Maggie for killing Glenn and what he did as a leader and who he was the Negan before Rick slices his throat and they save him and then put him in jail for like six years where he then starts working off his debt and has changed as a person now. So having that moment was very wow. And the main show did a very good job at giving us a lot of those, a lot of satisfying conclusions and a lot of good setup, which brings me to the thing that I really want to talk about that's going to be more the spoilers, and that is the last moments of The Walking Dead, which was the main show comes to an end, And we have a lot of the emotionals, the farewells of certain characters. You know, Rosita is the main, main, main character that had been there for years and years and years that has been bitten and killed and in such a and and handled in such a way that it was very emotional the journey up to her 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 death on the show because she got bit protecting her child and protecting the future and was able to tell Eugene and then Father Gabriel and and just kind of tell people herself before going up to say goodbye to her child one last time. 
then dying with Eugene by her side. And that's the last person she sees, not not Father Gabriel, who she's been with, but the person that she came into the show with because it was Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene that showed up together. He's the last one that's with her. Very, just a, a fitting conclusion to that character, to then where Eugene's going to go as somebody who was never supposed to survive this, but did by lying, and then becoming a turncoat to all of his friends and, and working with Negan so that he wouldn't be killed by Negan and then turning on Negan and working his way back with them. And it's just, you know, wonderful storytelling that way. But we go from that and Daryl has his goodbye with Carol, which brings about the reshoot at the end. They revealed that they had it where Daryl and Carol were going to ride off on the bike together, but it leads to a reshoot of the two of them sitting on a bench having one last, you know, this is, I got to go do things because Judith has told Daryl, hey, my dad's alive. Rick is alive. I know Rick is alive. I know, I know he's out there. And that's where Michonne went. Rick is out there. Michonne's going to find him and he's got to go now. He can't be there. To where instead of Carol going with him, Carol is staying back because she has now taken on more of a bigger position within the community, within the Commonwealth, all that. So we get their final goodbye. Then we get Daryl riding off and it fades to black and you think, all right, there it is. I'm waiting for the internet keyboard to go nuts. You didn't give me Rick. There was no. But how stupid would it have been if... We had sat there for how many seasons without Rick and how long since Michonne left the show as well. Thanks, Marvel. But how long they haven't been there for one or both of them to just show up in the giant final battle at the end and be like, hey, what happened to our place? Why does it look like this? What's going on here at the Commonwealth? What's, what's, What's this and what's that? Like all of that crap. It would have been so dumb for them to just show up and be like, oh yeah, I'm here to save the day. No, Daryl and Carol and Negan and all of them and Maggie, they were the ones. Aaron, they were the ones that needed to save the day. That core group that had been there for so long would have been so dumb for them to show up. But it was brilliant for them to do the fade, the black, and then you get a match lighting and that's when you see Rick is sitting there looking grizzled as ever with the beard and dirt and blood and she's like yeah Rick looks absolutely insane I love insane looking Rick and he's writing and he's voicing over and it's they all stay with me all of them everybody that didn't make it everybody that did and this is where they start incorporating flashbacks and we see Characters from season one with Andrea, we see T-Dog, we start seeing Tyrese, we see everybody that, you know, we see Glenn again, we start seeing everybody that had been a part of this show, we see Carl, um, and even the ones that have made it, they stay with me as well, is what he's saying, so it's just this beautiful voiceover and while we're seeing him we're also cutting to Michonne who's sitting in front of the fire and she's writing as well and we're getting this just wonderful like retrospective but it is also playing as a perfect setup to what their show is going to be and the fact that reminder Rick is out there Michonne searching for him 
and these two characters are going to meet again real soon. But yeah, it was a, a great way of, you know, Rick was our first introduction to the show. And yes, he hasn't been there, but in a way to still find a way to wrap it around to him being the last shots of the show and him coming in and doing that, you know, filming that sequence for the finale and, and the way that it was handled with, again, the the reminiscing back on all the people that, you know, died along the way and the ones that still go on and how they are the ones that keep him strong and keep him going and make him who he is and have defined him and continue to define him is a really cool ending and a cool beginning because it does wrap up, you know, the 12 years... 11 seasons of The Walking Dead. But it does kick open the doors to welcome to the spinoffs, welcome to the other version of these comics, welcome to the characters you really like. You like Rick? You like Michonne? We're putting them together here. You like Daryl? Well, he's going off here. You all love Negan, right? Well, he's going off with Maggie over here, right? Crazy, those two working together? And after the finale, when he finally apologized and she was like, you earned your spot in in our community, but I can't look at you because you remind me of the bad and I want to remember Glenn for all the positive and the ray of light that he was because that's what he was. So how do those two now going to work together because she can't stand looking at him, but they're going to have to go to New York together. Oh, wonderful kicking the door open for an extended universe while I think putting a nice bow on the show. But yeah, I love that. Andrew Lincoln, I love that Deny came back as well, that they got to be a part of the finale, and and in a clever way, in a way that didn't feel, because The Walking Dead at its worst, in some of its seasons, would have 100% had Rick show up with Michonne, and they would have been like, here to save the day, and everybody would have been like, oh my god, yay! That would have been the worst of the storytelling. It really would have. So to not have them a part of it, yeah. I I I truly believe that was the right way to go. And yeah, I and I want to say as well the Angela Kang um aspect of the Walking Dead has been have really circled it back around because again, if you're going to rate the seasons of the Walking Dead, if we want to rate them, you know, geez, those first 5 seasons of the show are just brilliant. Some of the best television you could have. Season six is pretty solid as well. Season seven, it's okay. Season eight, okay. And season eight's the season that Rick left. And that's when Angela Kang came on and started taking control as well. Because really the back half of that season is where it starts getting really good. And then season nine, when the Whisperers come back in, it really is must-see television again. But at that point, a lot of people had bailed during those, you know, season six, where it's really solid, but seven and eight, which are kind of really like the downer of the of the show. And I hate saying that because I do love Negan and I loved and I loved every aspect of the show. But if if I'm going to be critical of it, those are two of the weaker seasons of the show. And then when the show is full-blown swinging again in season nine it's hard to get people back because you had two seasons of more eh, downer of seasons compared to what we got really and honestly the best season of the show 
I might have to go with what the consensus of the critics is. Uh, they they say season five, and I do. I think season five, but I also would maybe season three as well. Season three is full blown. Uh, the introduction of the governor, things like that. Uh, that's some of that's just. But again, seasons one through five were just absolutely stellar, and that's where the show was at its peak. And it was even at its peak in season six, but six started to find itself where you started to see characters, like I just said, where just random things started happening. Characters started going against their traditional things and the way that they acted and the way that they would act, that what we come to expect from them, there just wasn't growth. It was certain characters were put in positions to do what we need done to make the storyline happen. And if there's one thing you've ever learned about me through listening to me and all of that, some things that really annoy me in storytelling is when you create a character one way, this is what they've become known for, and then you decide that they need to change that character just to fit the other portion of the story that they need. So a character starts going against what they do or what they typically would do because it's going to help drive the main story that they want. It's it, To me, that's a really weak plot device, but people do it. It happens, and The Walking Dead was guilty of it for a stretch as well before eventually it got back to, oh, that makes sense. I would expect that character to do that instead of that character doing this just because we needed this character and this character to do this just because they needed to be the voice that went against them for this. No, that character 100% would have done what they... So, either way, I'm starting to ramble, but all in all, love the finale of The Walking Dead. Thank you for 12 years of television, a lot of it, television gold, and even at its weakest, still stuff that I could get into and really enjoy. So, um, thanks for bringing zombies back to the forefront, because... Also, if you really look at it, the zombie craze, it it wasn't like they jumped into the middle of it of the zombie craze. The Walking Dead helped make zombies a thing again. And I don't know what it was about that time. I don't know what caused it. But man, oh man, did that just bring about a zombie boom all of a sudden out of nowhere. And it's still going strong. It, zombies are back. They're they're still in fashion. They might have lost a little bit of the luster that they had for the first five to six years of The Walking Dead, but they're still here. And The Walking Dead is a big reason that zombies are still at the forefront of our horror community conversation. So thanks for hanging out this week. Uh, I will talk to you all next week. And uh, yeah, check out Disenchanted. Go watch The Walking Dead finale, even if you were somebody that wasn't a part of the show for a few years, but watched it. It's got a very nice conclusion to it and uh yeah go check out those uh stills or the final sequence of rick as well and michonne returning because that was a cool shot of michonne at the end riding into one of the biggest herds of walkers we've ever seen wearing her what looks like something she stole off the marvel (laughs) studio set from wakanda forever and is wielding her giant sword ready to just ride into the zombies and kill them all pretty badass All right, until next week, everybody, peace and love.